The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Quantum Connection, exploring health, science, and spirit with your host, Marina Rose, QDNA. From the smallest cellular structure to the broadest life experiences, every thought, every belief, and every action has the power to transform every aspect of our lives because reality at its core is made manifest through consciousness and its direct connection to the quantum field. It's time to remove the self-imposed boundaries created by your reality and discover practical, everyday tools to transform your life. Now, here is your host, Marina Rose, QDNA. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Marina Rose, QDNA, and I want to thank you all for tuning in and listening. You have now entered the quantum field of quantum connection, the intracellular holographic matrix, where we make the impossible possible, utilizing QDNA, quantum DNA acceleration, which combines the cutting-edge science in neuroplasticity, epigenetics, DNA reprogramming and quantum field theory to assist you to achieve quantum growth in your health, life, and business. During this show, we explore health, science, and spirit to accelerate your path to extraordinary living with some of the world's most influential thought leaders sharing their insights on how to optimize your health and well-being. Today, our topic is living a heart-centered life, access your heart's intuitive intelligence, heart math. And our guest is the wonderful and brilliant Howard Martin. Welcome, Howard, and thank you so much for accepting my invitation to be on my show. And I would like to tell the audience a little bit about you first. You are an author, speaker, and business executive. You are the Executive Vice President at HeartMath LLC. You are one of the original leaders with Jock Childry, found uh, HeartMath, and you've been with the organization since its, its inception in 1991, serving as a key spokesperson and executive. HeartMath helps individuals, organizations, and global communities to incorporate the heart's intelligence into their day-to-day life experience. It is done by connecting the heart and science in ways that empower people to greatly reduce stress, build resilience, and unlock their natural intuitive guidance for making better choices. One of the, heart, one of the goals of HeartMath is to inspire people to create a heart-connected world. Now, getting right back to who you are, you are the co-author of HeartMath Solution, which is now considered to be a classic and the definitive work of heart intelligence. You played a key role in launching the Global Coherence Initiative, a science-based co-creative project to unite people in heart-focused care and intention to facilitate 
the shift in global consciousness from instability and discord to balanced cooperation and enduring peace. You have served as a steering committee member and spokesperson for the Global Coherence Coherence Initiative since its inception. You wrote the HeartMath Method, an audio learning program published by Nightingale Conant. During your career with HeartMath and the Global Coherence Initiative, you've been instrumental in delivering practical yet dynamic programs to tens of thousands of people in audiences worldwide. You've conducted keynote presentations and training programs for Fortune 100 companies, government agencies, all branches of the U.S. military, school system, Christian organizations, and for publicly promoted events in 50 cities on four continents. You're a member of two of the most important and prestigious organizations, Transformational Leadership, an exclusive organization founded by the great Jack Canfield that is made up of leaders in the fields of personal, organizational, and social transformation, and also the evolution evolutionary leaders, a group of select global visionaries founded by Deepak Chopra. As a key speaks, a spokesperson for HeartMath and Global Coher- Coherence Initiative, you do approximately 75 media interviews and webinars annually, including all of the major U.S. television networks, internationally syndicated radio, major magazines, and numerous documentary films. To name a few, ABC Good Morning America, ABC World Tonight, Discovery Channel, CNN, News, New York Newsday, Boston Globe, San Francisco Chronicle, U.S. News and World Report. You speak internationally on developing the new intelligence needed to navigate life during these changing times and the importance of creating global coherence. You are also a producer of two award-winning musical recordings, including Doc Childry's Heart Zones, which spent 50 consecutive weeks on Billboard magazine's music charts. Prior to your employment with HeartMath, you had a successful career as a musician, followed by a business and financial consulting career as an account executive with E.F. Hutton and as a vice president at Capital Funding. However, Howard, before we get started on this wonderful topic, living a heart-centered life, access your heart's intuitive intelligence with HeartMath, what else can you share about yourself to our audience that's not in one of your books or written anywhere else? Well, first, Marina, thank you for having me on your program today. And after you read, read that long bio, it makes me tired. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about all that stuff that uh, that I've been involved in and done, but it's all been a wonderful journey and a great adventure. And I'll be glad to answer your question, but first of all, I want to thank everyone who's listening uh, for giving us your time and your attention to listen to this conversation that Marina and I will have. And my hope is that, you know, during the course of our time together that I'll be able to say some things that will give you some inspiration to create a more fulfilling, heart-centered life. So what about me that hasn't been mentioned, written, or said? Hmm. Well, you mentioned something about uh, in the bio as you were reading it about me being a musician. So one of the things that I can share is the early part of my life was all about music. Uh, I started playing drums when I was just nine years old. 
And by the time I was in my early 20s, I was a professional playing with people who had record talent. And I did that full time uh, and made my living at that until I was in my early 30s. And so I didn't have a business career background. I didn't have a, you know, I had a basic education, basic college degree, but nothing more than that. And my whole life revolved around playing drums and, and doing music. And when I got into my early 30s, well, along the way, I'd be gone through a, a bit of a transformation and, and exploration of consciousness and spiritual growth had become important to me. And by the time I got to my early 30s, the music life and the lifestyle associated with that just no longer made sense to me. So in a process of that was full of drama and you know, very hard to do, uh, finally extricated myself from the music business and uh, dedicated the next part of my life to unfolding the real Howard Martin and to being in service to others. And so music was a big part of what I did all the way up until my early 30s. I was a rock musician. That's what I did in my early life. Great. I love it. And you know what? My brother is a drummer. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I mean, you're both drummers. And you know what's even more fascinating, because I didn't know you played drums, is, uh, and we'll bring this in a little bit later on, but the earth, um, the earth, the frequencies of the earth, the frequencies of the heart, you know, so it's like boom, boom, boom. So, I'll, we'll bring that in a little bit later on. But thank you. That was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I wanted to bring in my, um, I have um, questions for you. So, there was clergyman and social reformer Charles H. Peck Hurst once said, the heart has the eyes which the brain knows nothing of. Deepak Chopra said about your book, made a very clear statement, the heart math approach outlined in this book could save years of therapy. And I wanted to add this, the heart starts beating in the unborn fetus. The brain develops from the bottom up, starting with the most primitive part, the brain. Then the emotional centers, the amygdala and the um, hippocampus begin to emerge. And the brain researchers have believed and be definitely believed the brain is growing out of our emotional re regions, which does speak volumes in the relationships to our thoughts and feelings. When we trigger the amygdala gland, we bypass the, the brain. And I'd like you to elaborate on this for our listeners. And I want you to bring in going beyond the brain and why it is so important to go beyond the brain and into the heart. Well, I think, you know, we have multiple intelligences operating in our system all the time. Obviously, the brain is this magnificent part of who we are as a human being that processes information, stores information, takes in information, tries to interpret that information and make sense of it through the sensory apparatus that it's receiving it from so that we can live in this world and construct reality and the existence that we have here. But I think what's happened along the way is that all intelligence has sort of been assigned to being in the brain. And today we know that's not really true. That again, the brain is this magnificent, you know, processing instrument that we have. But not all intelligence simply resides there or is sourced there. Intelligence is actually distributed throughout our entire body, right on down to intelligence in each and every one of our cells. And so, what we've discovered at HeartMath a long time ago long before there was actually an organization, was is that we had this intuitive intelligence that existed within all people. Sure, it had been written about for many, many thousands of years. It had been talked about in the most glowing of ways, yet in modern society, it's sort of been relegated or subjugated 
to the respected realms of philosophy and spirituality. But what we knew is we knew that there was something more than that, that there was an intelligence that was essential for operating in this fast-paced, uh, highly uh, changeable world that we were living in. And so we began to unfold that step by step in ourselves through basically practicing going to the heart, uh, listening to the heart, trying to interpret those messages and then apply those in ways that made us better people. When we started heart math, the first thing we did was to begin to do scientific research to look at the physical heart to see if it was doing more than pumping blood. Our belief was that it was. And so today there's this huge body of research, which is one of the things heart math is most famous for, uh, that really maps out the whole process of heart-brain-body communication and more, actually. But that, that the foundation of our research was that, that understanding of the heart being more than a blood pump. And I guess one way to put it simply was that what we found, and it was actually research that others had done as well, it contributed to our understanding. But what we found was is that the heart was actually a very important and powerful information processing center in the body. It was part of our intelligence. It was part of a magnificent intelligence that can and does lift us beyond our problems, even in the midst of chaos and confusion. And so that's just sort of one of the fundamental understandings that we uh, came to, uh, as we began to research what intelligence was and what this intelligence that we'd experienced in a rudimentary way was uh, long before we developed the heart mass system. Great. And you mentioned, Howard, and you do so much more. Can you elaborate on everything else that you do there? Oh, my gosh. You know, uh, let me just say this. I'll be able to elaborate on some of it in the time we have. <laughs> okay. okay. But if people are interested in the, scientific, in the scientific research part of heart math, my suggestion would be to go to heartmath.org, O-R-G. That's our nonprofit site. And there you'll see a research tab. You can click on that tab and you'll see research that can keep you busy for a very, very long time. We've done lots of physiological research, of course, on heart-brain-body communication. We've also done lots of social science research, meaning what happens when groups of people began to practice you know, various techniques through the training programs that we've delivered in Fortune 100 companies in the military and places like that. So a lot of social science research has been done as well. In addition to that, the research that goes on here today is really around energetic connectivity research. Uh, providing scientific foundational understanding to the fact that we are all energetically connected. Every living thing on this planet and beyond is living in this vast sea of energetic connections. And as we learn more about those connections, we learn more about you know uh, consciousness. We learn more about uh, how to cooperate. We learn about a lot of things as we begin to respect and understand that we're all kind of connected. We're all in this together. We're all one in a certain way. So we do that kind of research, and we've even taken that further into understanding the energetic connectivity that takes place between humans and the energetic fields produced by the earth itself. So a lot of exciting research is sort of leading us into a new frontier of understanding, you know, who we are and what reality is. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. I do um, epigenetics, neuroplasticity, DNA reprogramming, and you're correct. Every, we are so connected. It's, an, it's a vast interconnection of unlimited connection. It's boundless. So, yes, it's incredible. And you are at the frontier of it, and the research that you're doing is exquisite, and it's incredible. So, thank you. Let's talk about the brain of the heart from uh, the physiologists John and Beatrice Lacey from Fells Research Institute about the intelligent language influences how we perceive and react to the world that heart math took even further and established the heart's capacity think 
for itself. Can you give us some information in regards to that, please? Yeah, sure can. I mean, you mentioned the Lacey's research. That was uh, research done in the 1970s. And yeah. When we, began, when we began to do our research, we were finding little pieces of, re- of research that was scattered throughout the literature. But none of, nobody put the story together. Mm-hmm. What the Lacey's had run across is they were doing research on the heart. They were sending various stimuluses to the heart, expecting a predictable result. But the heart would do something different. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, right? And so they, you know, the way they, they kind of put it was it appeared as if the heart had a mind of its own. Well, when we began our research, we also discovered that there was a field called neurocardiology. You see, the heart has a very complex nervous system. Next to the brain, it's the most complex part of the nervous system that we have. This nervous system exists throughout the heart, consisting of neurons, proteins, and support cells. And it sends information to the brain through a nerve pathway originating in the heart, traveling up into the lower centers of the brain, going right through the limbic system that you mentioned, the mid-level brain, influencing emotional processing, and then terminating in the higher uh, perceptual centers of the brain, the neocortex. So you have all this information going from heart back to brain. Now, the field of neurocardiology studies this nervous system, and there are books about neurocardiology. Cardiology. There were neurocardiology conferences. Uh, who knew these things? You know, it was, mm-hmm. it was just it was out there, but nobody was paying attention. But this nervous system is important. And um, an interesting fact about it is this: is that the, the brain, in fact, does send information down to the heart, primarily to control the timing of the heartbeat. But when you map out the neurological traffic in the body, what you see is that the heart is actually sending a lot more information to the brain than it ever gets from the brain. So there's this conversation always going on at a neurological level between heart and brain. The heart's nervous system communicating with the brain, the brain communicating back, and you have this closed-loop conversation that's happening you know, from the time you're born to the time you die. And it's done through a nervous system that exists in the heart, studied through the field of neurocardiology. Isn't that brilliant? It's brilliant. It's fantastic. It's, you're just so clear and concise, and I love it. Okay, I absolutely love it. Thank you. My pleasure. So, I've become quite famous with my loaded questions. So, with that, <laughs> I know, I, I, I load in three questions in one. So, I'm preparing you, Howard. <laughs> I get emails going, you ask a person one question that's loaded. So, I'm just bringing it up. So, um, let's have a little chit-chat about IQs, where they, for, you know, they were first created to measure the cognitive abilities then the mm-hmm. intellect for the school system. Then, let's talk about Daniel Goldman's relentless exhaustion of research that he did in his book, Emotional Intelligence, where he stated why so many people with high IQs falter in life, while others with modest IQs do exceptionally well. Then bring in HeartMath's work on cultivating heart intelligence and give us examples of people that have done HeartMath and have really triumphed, even with modest IQs, because I absolutely love that. I always say to people, you know, you've got to be, it's like street smart, heart smart outweighs always that high IQ. And I love it when I read it in your book all those years ago. So, I wanted to really bring that up for a conversation. So, off you go. I'm sorry, Marina. Did you say something? I stepped away from it. (laughs) (laughs) I did say something. Thank you very much. Would you like me to repeat it? No, thank you. I've got it. You got it? Yep, I do. 
Okay, yeah, I mean, thank when, we, you. when I was a kid, you know, everything was based around IQ, which is really, you know, cognitive ability. Like you said, the ability to memorize facts in a sense. And, you know, everything was based on IQ. Your IQ number determined, you know, how smart you were. Well, other guys came along. Howard Gardner with the multiple intelligence theory, you know, showing that people learn in different ways. I think there's eight different ways in which people learn. Some learn spatially, for example. Some learn uh, kinesthetically. There's different ways that people were intelligent. So he was saying, wait a minute, it's not all about IQ. Then Daniel Goleman came out with this famous book, uh, Emotional Intelligence. And what he was saying is that you know the ability to learn to regulate emotion had a lot to do with predicting how well you would do in life. That it wasn't just about you know, the sort of cognitive approach to living. That you had to have an emotional capacity. That you had to have an understanding of your emotions. You had to have the ability to regulate those emotions in various ways in order to be successful. And in his book, he pointed out story after story of people who were very, very famous, highly successful people uh, that didn't necessarily have a, a, a lot of uh, IQ score ability. And I think, you know, if you think about that, you know, a lot of the great leaders in the world weren't necessarily people that were uh, the highest level of intellectual. They were people that connect with people. You know, I mean, a really good CEO in a company, for example, usually has great people energy. You know, they have the ability to connect with people, to communicate, to inspire people. That's an emotional intelligence capacity. So what Goldman did is he, he gave us all a good picture of the fact that, you know, emotion was important and learning about our emotions was extremely important. And it had as much or more to do with being successful in life as did any other form of uh, intelligence that we have. What we found with heart intelligence is that it's an intelligence that embraces both mental and emotional intelligence. It kind of takes and provides a nice support system under both of them. It embraces them. It wraps its arms around both those kinds of intelligences. It fuels those intelligences to come to their highest best. A good way of looking at it would be that, you know, when you activate more of the qualities of the heart, who's the big winner? The brain's the big winner. <laughs> It's getting different food, different information, different things to process, analyze, and store. And the same is true with emotions. To me, hard intelligence is the intelligence that gives rise to the emotions that we revere and enjoy the most. And they would be emotions like compassion or care or appreciation for the good things in our life, or love. Those type of emotions are the ones that enrich us. They're the ones that improve our health. They're the ones that regenerate us. They're the ones that provide the connections between each other that make the rest of life worth living. And it's the heart that gives rise to that. Heart intelligence causes those emotions to come to the surface. So heart intelligence is an embracing type of intelligence that fosters and facilitates other types of intelligence. And that's what we found in our work is that that's where the heart intelligence was probably most useful. I mean, the science that we've done is really impressive and it's a very important component in the heart mass system. But what's just as important, if not more so, in what we do is how that comes down into daily living. What does that mean to anybody? You know, the fact that we have a nervous system in the heart, that's great. What does that mean? How's it going to make my life better? <laughs> right. How's it going to make me happier? How's it going to make me more successful? And I think translation of all that into daily living is what we're really best at. The science that we've done gives support to that. And what we're really trying to do is help people reconnect with that intelligence that they have from the heart that's always there. It never goes away. Everybody has it. So we're trying to reconnect to something that already exists. And when we do, the mind and emotions become big winners in that process. I agree. I agree. Let me ask you something. What made you guys start HeartMath? How did that seed get born? I think we're trying to stay out of jail. You know? <laughs> 
how? Why? I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I mean, you know, back then in the 70s, I mean, Doc Chaudhry was the guy who put all this together. I mean, with the, without a Doc Chaudhry, there is no horror math. Right. I'm honored that I've known Doc for 40 years and that I've been able to help him and play a role in, in the development and unfolding of the heart math system. But, you know, back in those days, I mean, I was 21, Doc was 24. We were young men. There were other people around us that were involved. It wasn't just he and I. There was a group of us, and we were interested in consciousness. We were interested in, you know, learning about these things. We'd read the spiritual books. We'd read Autobiography of a Yogi. We'd read, you know, books on meditation and spirituality, all those things we'd done, and we wanted to know more. We wanted to know how we could unfold this in ourselves. So if you think about it, most of the spiritual things that you can read and study often refer to the heart, right? They always have these wonderful things to say about heart. I mean, these kind of teachings and understandings go back for, I've seen writings on heart that go back, you know, 4,500 years ago. Yeah. And so we began to explore various things. And as we began to explore heart, we found that there was something to be looked at there, something that had to be uh, taken seriously and unfolded. And, of course, Doc was the one that would get on to it before the rest of it, rest of us. And he would you know, come up with games we would play, ways we'd approach it, ways we could experiment with ourselves, uh, not scientifically, but certainly you know, internally, and, and try to practice various things that we learned. It didn't take long, however, before we ended up sort of in uncharted water. And we were operating in places that were not necessarily written about in the books. That doesn't mean better than what was written in the books. I'm just saying different than what was written in the books. And we began to go down this track and this path of really unfolding you know, the heart. And so in those days, we didn't have an ambition of ever being an organization. I certainly, the farthest thing from my mind in terms of a vision of what I was going to be or could be was to be a successful author and speaker and to be on radio shows like yours. That was not even in the, the holographic profile. You know? mm. It just didn't exist. It was just us unfolding something and following uh, a certain trail. Uh, moment to moment, day to day, as we tried to unfold our own awareness and consciousness and tried to, you know, be better people and make sense out of life. It was a very pure, caring approach. It was uncluttered. We were doing this in eastern North Carolina, and in those days, there was nothing around us that would be new thought spirituality. And in a way, that was a, really a gift because we weren't caught up in the parade. Right. We were in isolation in a way. I mean, we had to drive five hours from North Carolina to Washington, D.C., to the only bookstore anywhere we knew of that had even books on things like this. It was called Yes Books in Washington, D.C. Wow. It was a five-hour drive, and we had to save up our money to even afford to go up there and get books. And so we were really operating in a place where we didn't have those distractions, and there was something very beautiful about that. So without ever having an ambition, but, but by simply pursuing something diligently with sincerity all the time, consistently guided by, you know, by Doc, who had a little more sense than the rest of us to help keep us on track, we were able to magnetize to us all yeah. the things that led to the unfoldment of what became HeartMath as an organization. And then after becoming an organization, starting with literally nothing, built us into a significant influencer in the world today. And all that's happened because we've taken things uh, moment to moment, day to day, and not try to be caught up in all the glamour and the parade of it all, but just sincerely unfolding a caring mission based on our desire to help others through these challenging times. Yeah, a pure heart, that really pure seeking spirit, that beautiful pure heart is 
what led you and guided you, and then you remained very fluid in the process. Is that correct? That's true. Flexibility is key, and it still is today. Absolutely. I mean, HeartMath is a business today. I mean, the organization, the things we do, it's, it's unfolding very quickly, constantly changing. New things are happening all the time. It's uh, really, without the tools and techniques that we teach in our training programs and that we certify others to teach, those kind of things, without those tools and techniques, I don't think I could be pulling this off. Right. I really right. have I have that ability to do it because I have the have have learned skills to be able to make that happen. But right. without that, I don't think this could be possible. It just moves too quick. It's just too much going on. Uh, life is a very chaotic, confusing experience for many people today, and I have compassion for that. And I'm fortunate to be in a in a situation where I've got support around me, and I've got uh, 40 years of learning under my belt. But I do recognize and acknowledge that other people have not had all those advantages. Right. So I never feel better than anybody else because of that. What I feel is compassion and I feel a desire to help people. Absolutely. I agree. And I wanted to, I'm just bringing, I'm just honing it back to what you said, that fl- the, the, the fluidity and that it's going so fast. And why I want to keep bringing it back to that is because when you're in that heart, in, in that intuitive heart place there is no chaos it is speaking so clearly to you that you just go boom 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 and it's like being back in north carol or south carolina in your own vortex creating what it is that you want to create correct well a certain way yeah i mean everything moves on is certainly more sophisticated and in many ways more complex today mm-hmm. but you know everything is energetically connected and the alignment you have with your own uh, pitch so to speak the tone of yourself your own spirit your own higher self whatever people want to call it the more you're in line with that the more you're in that co-creative process in a way that you create more of the things that are going to be fulfilling to you but you have to be able to, to, to stay in a very open, fluid, and adaptive mode for that to happen. Exactly. You have to let things unfold in a certain way. I mean, one of the big learnings for me, one of the things Doc is constantly counseling me on is patience, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're usually wanting things to happen quicker than they're supposed to. <laughs> right. You and, and so me he's, both. Al- he's always saying, you know, you need to let things unfold a little bit more. You don't, you don't need to try to push this, you know. And, and I'll think about it and think about the things that – some of the big events in my life that were the most fulfilling were never things that I was actually planning for. Mm-hmm. There were things that came to me as surprises. Right, right. The Heart Mass Solution book. I never thought I was going to be an author. I mean, we were, we, Doc was writing books at HeartMath in the early days. A media article came out. We had lots of media articles, great stories about HeartMath, and they would produce a certain result. One particular one came out. It wasn't even that much different than the others, but for some reason it piqued the interest of the publishing industry, and then within a two- to three-week period of time, we had calls from many of the major publishers and four or five book agents. Wow. I had a job back then of running our publishing company, uh, and Doc said, we'll check out some of this interest. And I went and did it. Uh, I went to New York and met with the big publishers and all that. And they would say, well, we really want to do a book with, with you, with you guys. And, you know, uh, you know, when can we meet Doc and, you know, all that. And I said, well, Doc, you know, he's the leader of our organization, but he's a very private man. He's not going to do book tours and things like that. And they said, really? 
and be this <laughs> duh, this dead silence, you know? Yeah. And they said, well, we got to have an author, you know? So, well, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, Doc is, can r- certainly write the books, but he doesn't want to be in the public view like that. And then a couple of times they said, well, you've got on a suit and you seem to know pretty a lot about this. You ever thought about writing a book, you know? Yeah. And I said, well, and I haven't really, but, you know, I went back and told Doc that and he looked at me and said, why don't you write the book with me? You know? And so... Once that book got published, it was made the lead book for the season by Harper San Francisco. It sold a lot of books, opened a lot of doors. My life changed. Uh, it put me in a position to have access and contact with some of the most leading-edge people in the world, from entertainment people to sports people to authors, all of that. And it put me in a path to go and speak around the world, as you mentioned in the things yeah. you read about me in the beginning. Well, none of that would have happened without the Heart Mass Solution, but I wasn't sitting around thinking, I need to write a book. <laughs> right. And that's what I'm talking about. The purity from your heart and that fluidity is what I'm hearing, which I'm going to go into my next question. I believe for the most part, people choose, want to choose, and they do choose a way of love. And I believe most people do have compassion and they want to live life with love and compassion. However, I want to bring up, why do you think people are always second-guessing their heart's intuitive guidance or they're second-guessing their intuition? One reason is, is that the heart's guidance and the heart's intuitive prompters are not always satisfying to what the mind wants. Mm-hmm. Which is what requ- you brought up. They often require sacrifice. They often require a different direction than you want to go. You know, what if somebody says, well, you know, I really want to be an author, and their heart keeps telling them, no, maybe you don't need to be that. You know, maybe you, you need to be a nurse instead. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, well, that could mm-hmm. be the heart really providing guidance that's going to lead to much greater fulfillment than what the mind's projecting, but nobody wants to hear that, you know. Right, and, and so it happens. You know, sometimes it's not really giving the, you, know, you information that's pleasing to the mind. The other thing is that the the voice of the heart, so to speak, is often soft, and it's easy for it to get drowned out uh, by the roar of ambition and survival. And we live in a pretty much a world that you know, this in many ways is heartless. And so the status quo is that way. So you have all this noise going on and all this, this behavior that's happening around you and societal behavior that doesn't support some of the principles that the heart would be guiding you to. And so it can be hard to adapt to those heart prompters, that inner voice, because the world itself doesn't seem to be uh, working that way. Mm-hmm. But you're right, at a deeper, deeper level, you know, at the deepest level of a person, at their true authentic self, what they want is to love and to be loved. Mm-hmm. They really want to feel love. That's what everybody wants more than anything else. And, you know, even if they think if it appears that what people want is success and money, what do they want? If they want success, it's because they want to be admired. They want to be loved by others. They want to see, a, a, they want to experience approval from the outside in. Same with money in many ways. I'm not down on money. I'm not down on, you know, success. I'm not down on either one of them. I'm just saying that the motivator for those things is not in and of itself just the money. It's certain aspects that they think money can give, can, can bring to them that really relate to being loved or having the ability to love. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's part of the reason that the heart sort of gets written off in society. I mean, also there's the, the programming that's there. You know, if you think about it, We've been programmed to think that the heart is somehow soft, that it's not strong, that it's sentimental, that it has a place in, in things, but not really when you get down to living in, 
you know, in today's world. We've proven that to be completely wrong, and that's why we train in Fortune 100 companies, U.S. military, police forces, educational systems, etc., is because we've been able to, to, to bridge an understanding of heart with modern science. And creating the bridge between the two, bringing those two together, has put heart into a new context that's acceptable in 21st century living. Absolutely, yeah. So I have, I'm turning the ship course to, um, of our radio show right now to glo- the global intensity of increasing amount of fear, uncertainty, stress, restlessness, inhumanity of all the terrorism, the refugee crisis in Africa, Europe, Middle East, which is causing global overwhelm. Please tell our listeners about the Global Coherence Initiative and its international effort to seek to help activate the heart of humanity and promote peace and harmony in the shift of global consciousness. If it's okay, may I first address some of the things that you brought up? Yes, please. Yes. I mean, there, there is a, an energetic momentum around fear and insecurity that's happening in the world today. Um, one word that sort of sums it up for a lot of people, if you add up all the things that are going on, and when I've talked to people literally all over the planet, I mean, 72 hours ago, I was in China, for example. Um, but when I talk to people, I find this one word that kind of sums up what they're feeling, and that word would be overwhelm. Mm-hmm. People are just overwhelmed. And when you look across the, you know, the global landscape, you see so many things that are happening. There's an obvious polarization happening. It's becoming you know, very clear that there are two different worlds happening on the same planet. Yeah. <laughs> and it is, it, that's disconcerting in many ways, and it does create a lot of insecurity and fear. And boy, I understand why. You know, I really do have a good sense and feeling for why people would feel that way. What's really happening is we're in the midst of a dimensional shift in consciousness. We are literally moving the fabric of consciousness itself, that field of information that we draw from to create what we call reality, is morphing and changing. And it's bringing everything up to the surface. It's bringing up the global problems, so we're seeing them on full display. It's bringing up the polarizations that were there all along and displaying them clearly as well. It's also creating some, some of the same kind of feelings and things within us. You know, for myself, it's bringing up things where I know I need to change, where I know I need to, 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 to make a move in certain areas of my life. Uh, it's allowing me to see where I've got certain gaps and where I've got things I need to improve on. That can be disconcerting sometimes. Never, at, least, at the very least, it can feel awkward. It's all part of a progressive momentum, however, to where we are moving into a new state of consciousness. A new world is birthing itself right in the midst of the old one we're existing in today. And it's happening very quickly. We've never before in the history of humankind experienced this much change in such a short amount of time. When that happens, we're going to experience both chaos and coherence. And so it becomes a matter of finding a self-security that does exist that we find within ourselves. And the heart is the source of that self-security. And then once we have that self-security, uh, being able to see the world in a little different view, to not be as identified with the plight of the world, but rather be seeing a new world birthing and begin to focus more on what we can do to help create that new world rather than be swept up in the drama of all the things that we see that are not going well. Uh-huh. So it's an interesting game we have to play there. Uh, and I think people are doing the best they can with it. But I think the next step for everybody is to say, okay, for example, we just saw the terrorist activity happening in, in Paris and in Europe. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I have contacts and friends there, and I've talked to them. And, you know, there's a real you know, palpable feeling that they're having right now. And my first reaction is to really, you know, go into this almost over-caring 
place. Mm-hmm. And the real service is to back up and have a true care for what's happening, but not be swept up in the drama. Not to have to read every news article and understand what this terrorist did and who he was and where he lived and who his mom and daddy were and all that. You know, right. I don't need that story. I understand what took place. Now what I need to do is send good, clean, heart-focused care to the people who are closer to it to help ease some of their emotions and help yes. them find a self-security. But I don't need to be into the drama of it right. and be writing a big story about it uh, in my own head. Right. Howard, we're going to be right back. So hang on. So everyone stay tuned. We're going to be right back after our messages from our sponsors. With uh, And Howard and I will be back to continue talking about uh, the Global Coherence Initiative and also HeartMath. So stay tuned and be right back. Thank you. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Do you feel alone, even when you're surrounded by others? Do you feel that there's sometimes nowhere to turn and nobody really understands? Remember, you are not alone. Every week, host April J. Ford, who has faced adversity as a constant in her life, helps you rise above life's challenges with your own blueprint meant to help you find out who you are. April's challenges have included childhood sexual abuse, becoming a widow and single parent at 32, and other such curveballs. She'll help you every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. We're all living in the moment, but you never know when life is going to take a unique turn. It doesn't have to be a challenge, but perhaps more of a detour to get where we need to be. On The Sky's the Limit, host Karen Levitt knows that experience, having faced it herself. Learn about her journey from a life-changing event to where she is now. Her guests are amazing people who are living these experiences and overcoming obstacles. Learn from their stories every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel, voiceamericaempowerment.com. You're listening to Quantum Connection, exploring health, science, and spirit with Marina Rose QDNA. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at marinarosequdna.com. Now, back to Quantum Connection, exploring health, science, and spirit. Welcome back, everyone, to Quantum Connection Radio Show, where we explore health, science, and spirit to accelerate your path to extraordinary living. Today, our guest is Howard Martin, and we are talking about the wonderful Living a Heart-Centered Life, Access Your Heart's Intuitive Intelligence with Heart Math. We left off just a little while ago in regards to everything that's going on globally with um, the Global Coherence Initiative in regards to what's going on with the terrorism, the refugees and everything. And I loved your answer in regards to that, Howard. 
I also wanted to bring in, um, tell us about the groundbreaking research on the interconnection between humanity, the Earth's magnetic fields in the energetic systems. What are the Earth's magnetic fields, like in Africa, Europe, the Middle East right now, using the global networks of the magnetometers? Well, first of all, Global Coherence Initiative is what you're you're, uh, describing, and it's a project we started at the HeartMath Institute about seven or eight years ago now. The purpose of it is twofold. One is just to bring people together from all around the world to use their heart-focused care and intention to make energetic contributions to creating a new world, a more harmonious world, a more world that operates on, you know, enduring peace. So we have about 75,000 members now, and they come from over 100 countries, so it literally is a, a global community. And you can go to the heartmath.org website, click on the tab there, and you can see the Global Coherence Initiative information. So we have things like care focuses that we put out. You know, once a month at least, we put out a care focus, you know, suggestions to the people who are members on where to send their heart-focused care to. The one we just did that just came out a couple of days ago is uh, called Strengthen the Vibration of Unity. And it's really about bringing about more of the unity in, in light of the terrorist activity that, that has been going on you know, recently. And that's an example of things that we do. And so these, there's a lot of information on the site. And I'll let people go there to have the fun of exploring that part of the, of the, right. the site and rather than trying to describe it. Okay. But, but because it's hard math, there's a scientific side to it as well. So... We understand that you know the, the Earth has energetic fields. There are two primary fields, the geomagnetic field, which is what a compass measures, and the ionosphere, which is a field that's less dense than the geomagnetic field. It starts about right above the atmosphere, where the atmosphere ends, and then goes up about 120 miles into space. These two fields work together, providing a protective layer around our Earth that protects us from things like any kind of space weather, cosmic rays, solar radiation, that sort of thing. Without these fields, there's no living. Nothing lives on the planet. So they're part of the Earth as an uh, part of the Earth as an ecological system. Really, you think about them as energetic ecology. It's well known through research that's been going on for a long time that these fields are constantly fluctuating and changing, and when they do, they affect human health and behavior. So that's well documented and well known, and we're also doing more research in that area. So we know the fields affect us. That's an obvious uh, science analysis who's made that obvious, that the fields are affecting us. So the hypothesis we have is that not only are these fields affecting us, that the 7 billion people that live on this planet are also affecting those fields. So in order to do more detailed scientific research on understanding the effect the fields are having on us individually and collectively, and also to test the hypothesis that humans are affecting the fields, we have been deploying what's called the Global Coherence Monitoring System around the planet. This system consists of very sensitive technology that can measure subtle changes in the Earth's energetic fields. And we will eventually have 12 sites, and the 12 sites will give us a complete picture of the, of all of the, of the, the fields. The arc, each site picks up a big arc on the field. 12 of them will give us a picture of the entire Earth. Today, we have a number of sites. Uh, we have one in Northern California. We have one in Northern Canada. We have another site in Lithuania. We have a site in Saudi Arabia. We have a site in New Zealand, and we have a site in South Africa. Soon, there will be a site in Costa Rica. 
And these sites are sending information back to our research labs in California. And scientists are studying this data and this information. And they're beginning to look at, you know, at the fields and begin to understand these fields more. Also, we're doing our own experiments, understanding the effect the fields are having on people. There'll be a new study published, I think, this December, next month on this. And we are looking at the information to test the hypothesis about you know, humans affecting the fields. This is a very detailed and long-term research project. This is not trivial. This isn't you know, slapping up a sensor in the backyard. We, we, we stand around and, and meditate and watch a needle move. I mean, it's not that. You know? mm-hmm. It's very detailed science. And so it'll take a long time for these, the, this experimentation to, uh, to prove or disprove our hypothesis. But it's an exciting experiment. Normally, it's something that uh, an organization the size of a government or a university would do. But we've undertaken it. Mm-hmm. And donors have donated for these sites. They're about $60,000 a piece. And people around the world have donated money for this type of research because they believe it's important. Ultimately, it's providing a new understanding of the interconnections that we have with the Earth and with each other, actually. So it's very exciting, very compelling you know, research. And going back to you know, it's the other purpose is bringing people together. It's uniting us so that we can all use something we all have, which is the power and intelligence of our heart to put our love and care and compassion into the energetic field environment to help people to give them something they can draw from to make this transition that we're going through as kind and gentle a process as it can be it's not easy we can certainly control some of uh, how intense it can be and so I think that that's the most important part of the Global Coherence Initiative is the bringing together of people to, to do that. And the science adds a very interesting and compelling and I think an important component uh, to understanding ourselves and our world. Absolutely. And I loved what you said before we went to break, which was, you know, not to hook into the drama and, and also how, what you said about how quickly things are changing the fabric of, um, you know, our existence, how quickly it's changing and the polarization, it, you know, and the two dimensions or the, in, you know, the multi-dimensions. I thought that was really fascinating and right on too, because it really is. It's like this, you know, this year has been profound with that. And especially the last couple of, you know, the last two weeks has been mm-hmm. extremely profound. So, I have another question for you. Now, I, it's a kind of a personal question that interests me and possibly our listeners. And I want you to put it into your own words. And if you can't answer it, then don't. You've trained all sectors of the military. Are they fascinated with the discoveries on how human behavior is influenced by the, and the data that you're analyzing from um, the Global Coherence Initiative? Yeah, there's some interest in that. That's not really a major part of what we train them in, but there's certainly been interest from the military around that. In the military, we're training them in a resilience training. It's called the Resilience Advantage. And we use that in all of our organizational trainings, not just the military. Mm-hmm. And we actually certify trainers of people who are listening that would like to take information like that and learn to coach people with it. We have a coach program. You can check that out on heartmath.com. Or you can become an actual trainer. You can use that information in your own training programs and workshops. But we're training these soldiers uh, about how to be more resilient so that they can manage the stresses that they're associated with what they have to do better. Mm. Uh, We also do a lot of work with the military in the uh, mental health services on that side of the the military 
there are over 50 veterans administrations, hospitals, or military hospital facilities that have people there that are trained in heart math. And they're utilizing our technology, the inner balance trainer. Uh, this is an amazing technology that helps people learn how to become more resilient, more coherent. They're learning uh, to use that inner balance trainer, these soldiers, as they return from, uh, from being in places like Iraq and Afghanistan to help them deal with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder or the, you know, the effects the war have had on them. So there's a lot of ways heart mass being applied in those settings. So certainly, you know, there are people in the military that are looking at things like, you know, the energetic field environments and what they mean and how they can be studied, as well as scientists around the world. So we have a lot of interfaces with a lot of different types of people. Uh, right. All with a similar interest, and I think that's part of our, uh, our gift to the world, but also challenging for us. We get pulled in so many different directions. Right. And so let's go back to my one of my original questions, which was, what is the energy field like in Africa, Europe, and the Middle East? You know, are you looking at the um, electromagnetic fields there right now with well, everything yeah. that's going on? We are, but I don't know that we could, could determine anything specific yet based upon mm-hmm. the data. It's a very complex data analysis process that goes on. Mm-hmm. We have been doing some correlations that go back a little further, and there's a time delay in getting data, going through the data, making an understanding about it, and then writing something about it. You know, right. but going all the way back to Arab Spring, you know, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. some of this began, you know, when there was a big social movement that happened in the Middle East, we could see changes in certain things that were occurring then. You know, right. uh, for example. And so I think in time we'll be able to make some very definitive correlations between planetary events and things that we're, we're seeing in, our, in the data coming back from the global coherence monitoring system. But again, it does take time to do that. Uh, and I think that they, you, can, you can get pieces of information and it could look like one thing and it would be nice to go ahead and put that out to the world right now and for the scientists to give it to someone like me who's a spokesperson. But they don't do that. Because what they want is very rigorous, disciplined science around this type of subject. And sometimes science can be put out too soon. It can create a sort of a phenomenalistic response, but then it can also be easily attacked. Well, that's what science is about, though. You know, yeah. Science is about, you know, you're on the frontiers. There's frontier science, there's emerging science, there's all of that. You know, and we'll, if we go back to the Lacey's, they were ridiculed for their work in the 70s. Sure they were. You yeah. know, so scientists, you know, and this is what I have, you know, we were talking during break, you know, the people that I have on the show, they're really, in, like you, they're just incredible, you know, at the forefront of their fields. And they do it from their heart and soul. And so some of them are up against, you know, ridicule or this, that, and the other. But that's what we do. Yeah, well, we've you know? been lucky at HeartMath because we've done a good job of not alienating, right? That's good. So I think we've been really good at that. And we've also been, you know, we've done things right. You know, we've done things so that we haven't attracted that type of uh, criticism as much as maybe some other people uh, have. And it isn't based on fear. It's based on trying to make sure people feel included. Uh, we're not trying to you know, to avoid uh, people having a, a difference of opinion with us. At the same time, why not include people? Why not Absolutely. try to build a consensus and a bridge as we go? Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing is, you know, heart intelligence that we've sort of defined here at HeartMath, and we put together a system of tools and techniques and methods around it to help people unfold it. We've supported all that with scientific research, but it's just a small part of a bigger picture. 
because the reemergence of heart in a new way is actually, to me, part of the evolutionary imperative of our time. It's part of the shift in consciousness that's happening. And so ultimately, we're going to have a more heart-connected world. But it'll be a new kind of heart, a heart that really operates on those intuitive principles. It isn't soft and squishy and sentimental. Uh, it does embrace love and care and compassion, but even in a new way. And it does bring about a high-speed source of intelligence and wisdom that allows us to navigate life differently. And it does connect us. It connects us in a way that provides more cooperation rather than competition. I see that happening now. I see it emerging in hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions, all around the world. Probably millions is even more accurate. Um, and it's happening very quickly. So the chaos is happening very quickly, and a lot of wonderful new things are happening very quickly, all at the same time. To right. me, it comes a matter of what do I identify with most. Right. I had Lynn McTaggart on a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about, you know, we were talking about her book, The Bond. And I said, you know, it just seems to me we're talking about soft power and hard power, you know, and that soft power is that heart-centered power, but it doesn't mean it's soft, like mushy, which is what you're saying. It's very strong and powerful. It's very heart-centered. She's a good friend of mine. We've spoken on the same stages many times. I see her all the time when I go to London where she lives. She's a dear friend. And she. And you're right. There's a lot of people that sort of, we're all trying to do the best we can to, to help create this new world. And I'm doing it as well with QDNA, sure. Quantum DNA Acceleration. Howard, we've got 30 seconds. I want to thank you so much for coming on the Quantum Connection radio show. I love your passion, your compassion. You're such a humanitarian, a wonderful gift to me, the universe, our beautiful planet, and all of her people. And again, I love your heart, passion, and purpose. I appreciate your depth of care for all of you, humanity. Thank you for co-writing HeartMath Solutions. Thank you for helming HeartMath and Global Coherence Initiative. And it was such a pleasure and honor having you on the show. And I'm grateful to have this slice of life with you. And I'm thrilled to have our show documented in our treasured archives for all of our future listeners. Thank you so much, Howard. Same to you and to everybody who's been listening and giving your time and attention. All the very best to you, Marina, and to everybody who's been on our call today. Thank you. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be back next week with some wonderful, with another wonderful guest. Howard, you're amazing. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for enjoying Quantum Connection, exploring health, science, and spirit with Marina Rose QDNA. Please join us again for another edition of the program next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your DNA, instantly change your life.